0: In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending December the 11th, during a House Agriculture Subcommittee hearing this week, lawmakers heard from cotton growers about the financial stress the cotton industry is facing. In this report from Gary Crawford, growers voiced their support for a proposal by the National Cotton Council that would provide them access to the Ag Risk Coverage, ARC, and Price Loss Coverage, PLC, safety net options.
1: Economic pressure is mounting Producers are facing negative cash flows.
2: On Capitol Hill Wednesday, cotton farmers from around the country breaking their concerns to members of the House Ag Committee. Mississippi cotton grower and vice chairman of the National Cotton Council, Shane Stevens, gave some numbers showing what cotton producers are up against.
1: The lowest U.S. acreage in more than 30 years, the smallest exports in 15 years, and cotton prices at their lowest level since the 2009 recession.
2: But beyond just individual producers, Arkansas grower Nathan Reed says if this keeps up, cotton acreage will decline to the point
1: that the remaining infrastructure cannot survive.
2: with transportation and ginning facilities disappearing, both growers recommended that the USDA use its authority to designate cotton seed as what is called an other oil seed, making cotton seed eligible for the PLC and ARC safety net programs. Meanwhile, as they testified, USDA issuing a new cotton forecast pegging this year's plantings down 13% from last season, the crop at 13 million bales down 20%, prices at 59 cents a pound versus 61 last season, 78 cents the season before that. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington.
0: Thanks, Gary. Well, Dr. Dennis Hank. Cock, forage Specialist with the University of Georgia, was one of the speakers at this past week's Alabama Forage and Grassland Conference held in Eufaula, Alabama. A topic he and I discussed was how the wet fall has left many producers facing extremely difficult conditions with their hay developing mold problems in the barn.
3: We've had a real challenge this fall with all the rain and the humidity that we've had and, and a number of producers have been calling about having some challenges with hay that had been molding in the barn, which is a very uh, uh, abnormal situation. When it went into the barn dry, it usually uh, doesn't have, we don't have that much problem with it. But this year we certainly have. The big part of it is, is that when you have the high humidity like this, particularly for a sustained length of time, the crop actually will draw moisture. It tries to reach a equilibrium. And if it's 70, 80% relative humidity outside, and even if that hay is dry in the barn, 12 or 13% moisture, it's going to draw moisture into it. And it might be as high as 30, 40 percent, at least on the exterior of those stacks. Hancock says there's really not a lot that can be done
0: about it after the fact.
3: If we knew what that fall was going to be, we may have been able to close the doors, uh, close in the getting any moisture in, putting plastic over the stacks or something like that. But at this point, the best thing to do would be to any of those bales that are affected We're just going to have to uh, sell those for cattle rather than horses. Uh, Cattle can stand a little bit more mold, up to about uh, 1,000 colony-forming units per gram, but horses just can't tolerate that. He and many
0: county agents have had a number of emails and calls about feeding moldy hay, but again stresses that moldy or dusty hay should not be fed to horses. Well, in other news, the current farm bill does provide a program for peanut growers, which many learned a lot about this past year. And as Tyron Spearman reports, that knowledge will help growers with their marketing plans for 2016.
4: Well, the peanut market is still bringing in peanuts. It appears now we'll have about 2,750,000 tons to be sold this next year, but we're about 12% short of the crop estimate as of last week. Low corn and cotton prices have shifted many acres to peanuts last year as we planted 20.4 percent more cotton opted to not have a farm program which exasperated the problem for peanuts as cotton base became generic base and could be shifted to other commodities but must be planted if it was a generic base we've learned a lot during this first go-around on the peanut program the new peanut program eliminated direct payments and established a safety net for producers and many picked the plc program or price loss coverage matter of fact 99.7 percent Of The farmers are signed for the PLC program, and that was for 2015. Another factor influencing the peanut market is lenders. Lenders are pushing growers to plant peanuts because they know peanuts have a program with some protection, and cotton does not. Lenders also know that without the PLC payment on the base acres in 2015, based on a $440 per ton average price for 2014, many farmers could not have paid out their crop debt. So that payment is very important from the peanut program. Farmers also learned this year that USDA can reduce the national posted price to move peanuts out of the loan, And the producer will be charged the market gain if there is one. Well, the market gain is charged back to the payment limits. And some farmers got upset about that. So farmers this coming year will work with their buying point or their DMA and CMA so peanuts can be redeemed, avoiding maxing out the payment limit. So there's some of the options. Looking for the best option next year. Peanut farmers were up 20.4% to 1,615,000 acres. Georgia increased their acreage to 31.6%. Texas was up 293 So we're making plans for the 2016 crop and it's going to be interesting. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast Agnet.
0: And with this week's Georgia Grown Moment, here's Julie McPeak.
3: For this week's Georgia Grown Moment, we focus on Georgia Grown Diamond member, Destiny Organics.
5: Destiny Organics is a wholesale food distribution business. And really, our basic goal is to put a face with your food. We love to tell the story of local. We love to tell the story of regional. And we like to get that product from the manufacturer or the grower or the producer To the end user.
3: That's General Manager Diana Earwood who says they love to use and display the Georgia Grown logo.
5: Everybody really loves telling the story about where our products come from. So what our goal is is obviously to focus and to strive daily to do what we do best and that is bring local and regional products to market. Making sure that we tell the good story about the people that are behind those products and making sure that our retailers, our customers, and end users hear the stories of Georgia Grown.
3: For more info, visit destiny-organics.com. For Georgia Grown, I'm Julie McPeak. In other news, Kathy
0: Isom explains why this winter could be especially hard for honeybees.
5: For the past couple of years, beekeepers have been doing better at reducing winter honeybee colony losses. Part of this success comes from better management of a principal cause of the losses, the varroa mite. This according to Dick Rogers, principal scientist and entomologist with Bayer Bee Care Center and Bee Health and Integrated Agriculture Research. However, during recent hive evaluations this year, he was disturbed to find the vast majority of hives contained mite infestations well above the threshold level of concern. And the Bee Informed Partnership and the Ag Department are estimating infestation levels between 7 and 8 mites per 100 bees as a national average this fall. So what's causing this? Some of the treatment methods beekeepers have relied on to keep mite infestations in check aren't working as well as they have in the past. Winter normally is a stressful time for colonies, but high mite infestations may make this year's situation particularly challenging, and scientists are expecting the worst. Meanwhile, research continues at bear on testing new varroa size, as well as more efficient delivery systems to better manage infestations. Complementing this research is a Smart Hives initiative which is designed to monitor honeybee colonies remotely using digital sensor technology to provide real-time alerts that can allow for rapid responses and more effective management practices. Additionally, other scientists are looking to improve honeybee genetics to increase the bee's tolerance to the Varroa parasite. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast AgNet.
0: And to wrap up this week's podcast, Ever Grinder talks about what poultry officials are doing in an attempt to keep backyard poultry safe from the spread of avian influenza.
1: I think this is new. I haven't heard of it before. Hog Wars. It's a concerted effort to eliminate, at least control, feral hogs. Now, just how a hog war is organized and how it will differ from other efforts is unclear, but the objective is unchanged. Eradicate, not just control. For a war, you got to have a big army. An army has to outnumber the enemy. Now, adding up the millions of dollars in damages that hogs do annually to farm crops is an indication of how tough it's going to be to put an army together. So far, only one state has declared war on wild hogs, but if the results show any success at all, I suspect all the other states will participate. It'll be interesting to watch. Nothing else has worked. So we're going to see how declaring war really works out. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Reiner, Southeast AgNet.
0: Those reports and more can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast AgNet.